0: you yeah.
1: イベント
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I'm your host George Thompson. With me, as ever, David Forrest and Sarah Parkin. Back for more. Back for another another go at the old podcasting lug. How are everyone this evening? It's the same evening we recorded episode one, but still good. But it's good as we were five minutes ago. Yeah,
2: bit more tired than I was at the start of this session. I'm going to be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah pretty, pretty much so basically what episode two is is after episode one we got the history of Joshi up until Big Egg Wrestling Universe lovingly provided by Sarah what we have got now is just uh, sorry to give you blue balls for a little bit longer but what we have is the preamble to the show because as we mentioned in episode one the whole pomp and ceremony of Big Egg Wrestling Universe and the spectacular spectacle of the whole thing is very much a part of what makes the show so special so um, if you uh, and And do feel free to watch Big Egg Wrestling Universe at home. It is on YouTube in several versions. Uh, My particular favourite on this score being uh, a five-hour, eight-minute video called Big Egg Wrestling Universe Part One.
1: Yes. We should probably tell our fair listeners, um, all eight of them,
0: why it's called Big Egg Wrestling Universe. That is a very good point. We didn't get to that in episode one. There's not much mystery about it. Um, Big Egg is the colloquial nickname for the Tokyo Dome Stadium because it looks somewhat like an egg. It is white and round and uh, and uh, dozens and dozens of feet wide, just like real eggs are.
1: To the to the point that um, if you go to Sudabashi Station and you, you, you come out of Sudabashi Station, all the directions for the Tokyo Dome have Tokyo Dome brackets Big Egg because people use it so colloquially. Mm. That it's now part of just the official lexicon. It's just, you know, your directions, mm. you just put Big Egg because they know that people know what Big Egg is. Yeah. So,
2: but that's very that's that's what people expect it to be but that the full name of the show is actually a bit more of a mouthful <laughs> so the actual full name is ajw Dumu superwoman great war dash big egg wrestling universe like bit of a mouthful you can see why people just started calling it big egg but to be honest that tells you an awful lot about how they see themselves and what they're billing this show as as well. It is very much a, interpromotional warfare is at the heart of it. And it is, it's them setting themselves up to be like, okay, this is where everything properly kicks off. And based on sort of the history of the business and how they've brought themselves to this point where they see this as really being like the the peak of Joshi wrestling for the time, you can see how they get to something as, over the top as superwoman great war before they even but you know that was probably the first thing they came up with and they were just like take the day off guys that's it we've nailed it
0: or superwoman world war one as it was later known oh Uh, god but yeah i mean yeah that's the thing it is genuinely a universe of wrestling or a um as the start of the video as the start of the video shows big egg wrestling universe um so yeah the what we have on the uh on the uh Uh, Big Egg Wrestling Universe part one five-hour special is, um, yeah, you get a little bit of, um, I guess what would be context about the show and a little bit of uh, how the show came to be um, a, and which also functions as a year in review of 1994. Now if we're, ever, if we're uh, vague on the whys and wherefores of why anything is happening in that video uh, none of us are Japanese speakers uh, so uh, unfortunately you will just have to bear with our incomprehension at what is being said for uh, vast swathes of, uh, of the uh, press conference we're going to get to later but uh, for the moment we get a uh, year in review of 1994. Uh, much of it centered around, uh, Akira Hokuto, who is the, like, as we said in episode one, uh, Akira, it is billed as Akira Hokuto's retirement show. And I guess let's just have a little bit of a chat about Akira Hokuto. Um, Sarah's just, Sarah's face is just lit up as I said that.
2: Favorite topic that isn't Bol Yeah,
0: so, um, yeah, Akira Hokuto, uh, the, reason for the season in terms of this show um yeah just um so yeah thoughts on Akira Hokuto from uh, from uh, everyone
2: so for my money um whilst Bull Nakano is my my idol and my you know I I refer to her as our lord and savior most of the time um, Akira Hokuto is for me a very solid shout for the greatest professional wrestler of all time there, I said it, I'd rather watch one of her matches than anything that Mitsuhara Masawa ever did. Um, and I appreciate that I'm saying that to you guys, so, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I literally voted Misawa as my least favourite four-pillar, so, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I mean, yeah, the Pura, Pura podcast is not where you come for, like, standard non-iconoclastic takes, in fairness.
2: Yeah, well, true, but so, um, Akira Hokuto is someone who had she was incredibly well respected at the time. And one of the reasons why she was so beloved and why people looked up to her is because she had the reputation for being one of the toughest human beings on the planet. So, she had the nickname of the Mummy because she was consistently working, covered in bandages, because she had a habit of doing silly things to herself, getting herself injured, and then just turning up and working the rest of the show. She is probably most famous for that one time when she broke her neck in the middle of a match and just held it in place and finished the match anyway.
0: Yeah, well, it was a, it was a, it was a best of three falls match, and her. The move that finished the first fall broke her neck. Fucking it was a tombstone. Yeah. It was a tombstone off the second rope. Jesus. A move which they did didn't do after that. But uh, so that's the thing. No, like, she actually wrestled two matches after breaking
2: her neck. It's it's cra- crazy stuff. Um, we're going to talk about Akira Hokuto in a bit more detail um, later in this series when oh, we no. talk about the when we talk about the the V top tournament actually. So we will we'll go into some of that in a bit more detail. I believe yeah, in, the, in the
1: medical game, it's known as a broken freaking neck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of the kind that Kurt Angle would love
0: yes. to tell you about so much yeah but uh, yeah, not for nothing was Akira Hokuto known as the Dangerous Queen uh, she was
2: both dangerous and a queen yeah
0: inventing <laughs> such moves as the the Dangerous Queen bomb which is a sort of gut wrench power bomb which was also popularised by Steve Williams in the 90s and uh, the Northern Lights bomb a horrendously violent head drop move which bizarrely enough was adopted in the World Wrestling Federation five years later by Al Snow <laughs>
1: Is that the snowplower?
0: <laughs> it is the snowplow. It's the same move, yeah. yeah. That's really weird. Like, I uh, was secret AJW nut. Who, who'd think it? Um,
2: Probably was. So, But, yeah, David, so your thoughts on Akira Hokuto, then?
1: She's timeless, isn't she? She's just one of the absolute greats. It's, it's, like, if if you have a bad word to say about Akira Hokuto, then take up fucking curling or something. I don't know, because clearly this is <laughs> not... The, the the passion for you like she is I mean even like even in the sort of bump you get before the matches in the opening center, they're like you'll we'll get to it later but you can clearly see that she gets it she she's she's there and she just looks so empirical all the time like it, she just yeah and she's just an amazing wrestler you could list off dozens of matches that are you know some of the best of all time, she, you know, she is on oils. I mean,
0: what's the name of that DVD we've got over on the shelf? It's called something like Best of Akira Hokuto in 1993, Volume 5. Yes, exactly. It's it's so specific.
2: Yeah, we probably don't want to dwell too much on that because eventually we're going to talk about Octo in, in oh, oh yeah more like, one, detail once we get on. to the um, the
0: the V-top tournament which is the real business end of the show that's when the things like get real serious in terms of the matches Octo is a huge part of that tournament so in the last few episodes of this podcast we'll get onto that so just sort of winding back a little bit towards what you will see if you uh, decide to watch along with us at the start of the big A wrestling universe uh, VHS is yeah like a little bit of a year in review of 1994 um so it starts off with a uh, load of people standing in the ring um, everyone in their uh, promotions t-shirts um, kind of like you know uh, Tommy Dreamer when he was with the uh, Louis he never had any merch of his own so he would always just wear the t-shirt of that pay-per-view that was coming up just they just basically used Tommy Dreamer's body as advertising Uh, So everyone's there in their, uh, so AJW have got AJW t-shirts, JWP have got uh, JWP t-shirts, we'll talk about JWP and FMW and all that uh, later, these are the other promotions that are involved in the show, so it's not just an AJW joint, we have some highlights of uh, Akira Hokuto's matches uh, throughout 1994 including uh, Akira Hokuto and Shinobu Kandori versus Ajakong and Baldukano. Uh one of my favourite tag team matches of all time and certainly I would say the best in terms of the uh, parejas increibles uh, genre because these are two pairs of women who were, were feuding and so uh, very often Hokuto will spend as much time fighting her own tag team partner as her opponents we get three separate clips on that match all of whom are Akira Hokuto dumping some very large women on their head in various ways and after this 35 minute match he celebrates by just doing some squats in front of everyone um, and we get a press conference which uh, we get some, a little bit of footage from a press conference which we'll talk about in a few minutes because uh, David managed to find a video of the entire thing which uh, Sarah and I have not had uh, time to watch so uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's got to say about that. Um, we fast forward to uh, 26th of June 1994 where there are just massive queues down the block for tickets for that like the streets are absolutely thronging with people wanting to get tickets for this show and wow. we are almost half a year out
1: i wanted to mention something about this right because um like again like I was mentioning about how like if you go to Sudabashi station and um, you see the signs for big egg and stuff like that now I, I don't know if they've redeveloped it since or anything like that but from de- making the walk down to tokyo dome those people were pretty far fucking out from the ticket office, having been to the ticket <laughs> office myself. This wasn't you no know, two minutes down the road. Th- this was a considerable queue, and it made me think of and George. You'll you will you will appreciate this. Um, it, it it really gave me the vibe of you know how when a non-league team gets like the the Premier League champions in the FA Cup. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they always, like the days before, they always have the obligatory news app and news reporter goes down to the the porter (laughs) cabin that they're selling the tickets out of for the big game. And it's always like a wee old woman with a biscuit tin taking money and stuff like was very eerily similar of that. And as well as that, they they even had all the AGW people turn up for a meet and greet as well, like just the signs, you know, thanking them for all turning up. It was an an absolute masterstroke, but I I, I get big non-league cup energy. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. It kind of it reminded me more of the um, of the queues you sometimes get for the standing tickets at the proms at the Albert Hall, and like when a. Um once I went to see the Berlin Phil and when like there's a real like top level orchestra comes to town um, if you want standing tickets for the promise gym you'll have to queue at least three hours in advance and often more and we started queuing for this concert at 2pm Bear in mind this was a Friday as well so there's a lot of people at work and we still had to start at 2pm and round about 5 we went for some McDonald's and uh, you- you're basically allowed to leave the queue for a little bit as long as you don't take the piss and on our way back from Mackey's we decided to try and find the end of the queue <laughs> and we- we had to walk so far, and we were just looking at the people who had just joined the queue. It was like, you are not getting in. <laughs> there was oh, absolutely man. no way. It's, um, been,
1: it's, a, it's a dying art, isn't it, queuing for physical tickets now? Yeah, I used to do that all the time. Like, anytime any bands came to SECC or the Hydro or a big gig, and even like my family and my aunt and uncle go to lots and lots of gigs, and when I was a student, they'd obviously be working at 9am on a Friday, But I was a lazy student who'd done fuck all. So I was always the guy. I have a a deck chair that I used to take and just sit for hours (laughs) and wait. Every every time, just because it's like, yeah, but I've not done that in ages. And it's just like, it's kind of died a death.
2: I've got to say, though, physically queuing up outside the venue is almost certainly less stressful than being stuck in a queue on the frigging Ticketmaster website. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. As someone who on my third on my third attempt on the third date that they announced, finally managed to get my chemical romance tickets quite recently oh my god that was so upsetting like it was just I was I was there like I was sat I got into work a little bit early and was sat more than half an hour before tickets went on sale like on the Ticketmaster website in a queue and it's the constant there's a scrolling wheel all the time say oh you know we might be finding you some tickets we might not and you just sit there in suspense if you're in a physical queue you can see how many people are in front of you
0: imagine how much like nicer it would be if you were on Ticketmaster, but you knew as soon as you got your ticket, like your printer would just spit out a sign eight by ten of, of a Hokuto. <laughs> <laughs> like Wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? Be so the uh, the video uh, moves on to August, and there's a uh, few few brief moments of a tag match, uh, which is Yumiko Hockton and Dynamite Kansai versus Akira Hokuto and Arjay Kong. Uh, highlights include uh, Kong just iconoclasming Hokuto to the outside, and uh, Kansai giving a an absolutely horrendous looking splash mountain that made me think. So was this and was Big Egg announced when the tickets went on sale as Hokuto's retirement match or is this moved the, the reason that it's Hokuto's <laughs> retirement
2: match no, so well actually the the context for Hokuto's retirement match and her the respect that she garnered actually puts this it's probably the nearest thing I can think of to the way in which Jushin Ligo's retirement was billed at Wrestle Kingdom this year um is the the context for it is that she was she was getting married to a Mexican guy and basically she was going to split her time between Japan and Mexico. So nominally this was her retirement. I don't know if she ever really planned on giving up wrestling, but this was going to be her exit from AJW. Um, so how far that was being publicised at the time, I don't really know, but that was, that was the context behind it being her last hurrah. That's quite mad that she was
1: going to marry a Mexican guy, so she was going to retire in, what, November '94. To go and live with this guy. And when was collision in Korea? Uh,
0: 1995. Yeah. <laughs> so, see how well the marriage to the Mexican guy went.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, and you see from the crowd reactions at the start that Hokuto really is one of the stars. Uh, she is, she's kind of being put at the forefront of a lot of the marketing, and so are a lot of the other people as well. This is, it's a show that's actually being built across multiple promotions and everybody who's got some skin in the game on the show itself is getting involved in that promotional effort as well. And it is absolutely taking them by storm.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You get um, some footage in this video package of various announcements by uh, the... Uh, Heads of the uh, promotions Uh, Linus Asker is pictured Sitting in a very comfy looking armchair And then we get what I assume Is David's favourite part Of the video which was the draw For the VTOP tournament
1: Right I'm not joking right I I, I watched a press conference before this Right And I watched a whole 25-30 minutes of it And my last note was My only complaint is the lack of a balsam tumbler draw for the tournament And then sure enough I turned on the intro and there was a fucking draw of balls from my Tumblr and I was like, literally, before I've even seen a match, this is a great show of all time. I, I mean,
0: hashtag
2: you, magic of the cup, right? I mean, you can't <laughs> even
0: put balls on Tumblr now that it's gone. Uh, it's stopped the NSFW stuff being posted.
2: Oh God. <laughs> uh. Um, I mean, Barry look,
0: Davis at FA Cup headquarters The magic of the cup
1: <laughs> Do you think there's some lads from the SFA heating the balls up To make sure that Akira Hoko to an Kong Don't fucking meet in the first round um, A <laughs>
0: pissed up Rod Stewart reaching in <laughs> And almost torpedoing it for everyone
1: uh, um, I, it, like, Everything about this all, like, This is literally su- Such my vibe This whole thing it, Literally yeah. every shot Is just I love all of this
0: so, you know, like well, WCW Starcade for a few years did the Battle Bowl, yes. and the idea was it'd be like randomly drawn tag matches, then a battle royal involving the winners. But the first uh, the first time they did it, the draw was a shoot, <laughs> and then you had like, and then you ended up with like Bill Kazmaier having to work with Dushin like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to uh, be
2: fair, I'd watch that match I'm disappointed I haven't already seen it
0: b- b- Very big, uh, World strongest man fans and so very uh, very familiar with the, the works of Bill Kaz Kazmaier so, I,
1: um, I would love to see a battle ball in WWE, but every ball is in it, and just anybody can come out, because can you imagine the absolute it'd be like the Europa League first qualifiers the absolute nonsense that would come out of that draw
0: um, so, David, you saw a sort of longer version of the uh, the highlights. So, you you found various other accoutrements to the uh, the build to uh, to Big A Wrestling Universe. So, just tell us a little bit about those before we get on with the uh, the opening ceremony. Well, you see,
1: I don't understand Japanese, right? As I mentioned before, I fucking love a press conference. So, like, there's nothing I love more in wrestling than a press conference, right? WWE did them for a couple of years like um, after Wrestlemania 30 but they made the mistake of trying to kayfabe the press and it was all just like local reporters and what the fucking New, York- New Orleans Herald <laughs> turning up and they're trying to kayfabe them and they're like I'm a legitimate reporter here I'm not here for your carnival bullshit like I want to talk to the actual people not the characters and they did this just like so, so long and then they realised that the wrestling fat media weren't turning up because none of them get paid and none of them were near, so they were, and they weren't going to give him a press uh, fucking accreditation anyway. And then they they did it for Saul and you just have like Randy Orton and Roman Reigns commenting on their upcoming Last Man Standing match as like the Viper <laughs> and the Big Dog, and you're like, what the fuck? But this is different because this is done as a legitimate sports press conference, as in your Monday presser for the Premier League managers. Like literally, they turn up. And they, they, they answer it as like a sporting, um, a, 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 as a sport, as you would. Um, because, like, I mean, Azure Kong is nice and polite and respectful and everything. The, and she's like, she's just lovely and she's just, you know, a consummate professional. And I'm like, this is Azure Kong. What the fuck is going And, and everyone is just on their game and they're all there. And Reggie Bennett turns up and she's like, I'm just happy to be here. Like, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm just really happy to be at this show. You don't really ever yeah, get that in any other sport, do you? You never, even in like yeah. football or anything. You don't get, you know, if Swindon are playing like Man United, you are never going to tell me, go. We're just happy to be here. And they're like, no, that.
0: Yeah, or like Swindon, Swindon Town are playing Man United. Here's like the entire Swindon first team are going to talk in turn about what this match means to them. Exactly, like, and it's like
1: you, you know, but they've done it in a really great, like, sporting way, and it was it was wonderful.
0: They, look, they're all wearing T-shirts with pictures of their faces on as well.
1: Yes, and well, the one I, the one that I had, um, there was all lots of different ones. So, they, a lot of them were wearing tracksuits, um, Canterbury tracksuits. All the AGW people were in Canterbury tracksuits. They look amazing. I won. Oh the
0: promotion tracksuits need to come back. They are so good. Like Marvelous does them, um, and and Stardom does, and like more promotions need to. They're so they're incredible. Akira Hokuto looks like she's in a Witch House
1: band. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Witch House? Like, she, she's got her tracksuit and her dyed hair and stuff, and, and the makeup and everything. She just she looks resplendent, even her tracksuit. She's got a big key ring zipper. It's wonderful. It's such a look. It's, it's and super... her hair
2: is always so perfect. Yeah. Like, her hair is her hair is always perfect in that sense of, I'm deliberately making it look just wild enough that you know I'm a wild person, but actually I'm completely in control of this. Like, she's an she's a boss all the time. The and, and, as well as,
1: see when she talks at a press conference, you can clearly see... She she knows what she's doing. She's she does it with such a charisma. Compared to everyone else, she's kind of a bit like, you know, it's you know, what, what do I say? know is there, she's fucking giving it the old Razzle Dazzle. Um yeah. and like she's yeah,
2: been at the top of the promotion for quite a while at this point. And she's she's rarely the person that's walking around with the with top title. Basically, I think Probably because she got injured so often, they probably didn't think that she could that she could hold down a lengthy title reign, and they were generally in for long title reigns at the time. But she was always someone who you could pretty much any time you could slaughter in a main event, and she'd be and she'd make you champion look like a star.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, you said something in the DMs about there being a a a a dinner or something like that.
1: Yeah. So, a pre, well, pre a, big egg dinner. Yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, with the press conference, it was all played. It was like There was no pull-up parts or anything. It was a legitimate sporting thing. And it, throughout the whole thing, it was always played as a legitimate sporting occasion and event. It wasn't, you know, there was no pull parts or anybody, you know, throwing chairs or anything
2: like that. Um, i so disappointed there wasn't a contract signing. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But the um yeah,
1: there so there was a wine and nibbles function before where like they all turned up and there was like a free bar and there, you know, probably some volivants, and they're all eating noodles off a plate. And I was I was thinking, surely you'd have a bowl. Surely you'd have yes. noodles in a bowl, but not as in a plate. And I was like, That's really fucking weird. I was sitting with chopsticks and stuff like that and just the uh, um,
2: fancy silver service.
1: The outfits in this wine and nibbles function are beyond belief at how incredible everyone looks. Azra Kong is wearing this ornate dress shirt that it has to be seen to be believed, right? It's unbelievable how wonderful this shirt. And then she got a big leather red jacket over it. Um some people just like Come back to Ottawa oh, wears a suit
0: and she looks incredible in it
2: can we get some screenshots from this video to put out on our various social media channels to share this yeah, yeah I, I,
0: think, I think we Cause should because people apparently some looks are being served by all accounts it sounds like it I
2: that. need to see this shirt that Ajakon's wearing
1: Manami, Manami Toyota wears a big red overcoat um,
2: <laughs> that that figures actually yeah
1: S- Suzuka Manami wears a, a casual sweater she's you know just there um, Bill Nakano looks like a sexy barmaid with a dark alter ego right <laughs> Some Again, really specific, like this. I can completely <laughs> believe that from Bulma Kano as well. Um, Kyoko, anyway, is dressed impeccably and in the face paint still, she looks incredible. Akira Hokuto, I can't even describe what Akira Hokuto looks like. She looks incredible. Like honestly, every single one of them has a unique aura about them, and they look so, and they just you, you can so tell so much by what they've turned up in. It's like you know how when you see a manager and you know if you can kind of green, um it's sort of something about them from what they wear in the dugout. It's it's sort of very similar to that. You can tell straight away what um yeah, like what, what their, their personalities from just the attire they
0: oh, I see I seem to uh I seem to remember that Kyoko inoue wore her makeup to a Hokuto and Kensuke Sasaki's wedding. <laughs>
2: Well, she knew there would so be photos, and you've got to live your gimmick.
0: But that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but that's the thing I've seen. Like, in fact, in the video on the uh, on the on the YouTube clip, um, like there is footage of her not wearing her makeup. So I just I was like, now nah, it's a wrestling wedding. I've got to.
1: Yeah, I, I really, I, I really enjoyed the function. It's just, it's just a, uh, I, I, you'll notice that this this really taps into a lot of stuff I like. I really like seeing people like famous people outside of their natural habitat. So to speak, so like seeing like um, Akira Hokuto and Bill Nakano and stuff like that at like a a, a three bar function, where um, <laughs> it was just fascinating. It was just fascinating just to see how they interact with each other and because obviously the camera's still on them, but they're also a bit more relaxed and not playing up to the cameras and stuff. And it's it's very fascinating. um they all, it also ends with them going up and making a speech, all with sashes. You know, you, you, can, you can't you can't you can't be a good sash. Um are All Huns. All they're all huns. huns. Um are it, it, it's
2: a it, it's a long tradition that has carried through successive Miss World tournaments and also into the five star Grand Prix for Stardom. So it, you know. Exactly. Sashes are a significant part of many, many forms of sort of um gendered human endeavour.
1: Yes. Um and there's old men. Old men come up and make speeches and it's great and it's you know you know, an authority figure, you're Jack Tunnies of the world. You know, you you're you're so used to having, you know, Heel general managers, you know, and Teddy Long making it a tag team match. Brother, it's kind of nice to see a boning old businessman um, as an authority figure, which is lovely. Um, and then yeah, there's a video of them setting up the Tokyo Dome. Um, so they, oh um, man, it's honestly like, I, 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 I really do love watching. I New Japan used to do it for Wrestle Kingdom. They used to live stream it, where you could sit and watch them just constructing the dome over like four hours. And I used to sit and watch it every year. It's just so relaxing, and just kind of have it on in the background. I I love it, but there's there is a a, a bit um, there there is a bit in it where basically you see them you know doing the lighting, constructing the set, putting the ring together, and things like that. And um, lots of cranes and stuff. And you you kind of when the cranes come in, you kind of see the scale as to how big it is. Because you you look at like a WWF show. Because remember, you used to get WWF shows, and you used to always have. The big sets and you, like you know, Armageddon, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that. Those are nothing compared to like the big Egon because it, it is more the more the width of it. Because there's a moment where they they hang up the logo, and um, you have to do it in like three parts, three giant like hoardings, and they they have the scale where it's a man up in the the rafters, um, you know, winching it up, and you see just how small he is compared to the sign. Which is like a third of the sign, and then you, and then it pans it, and then they put the sign up, and then they pan out, and you show that the sign is like a minuscule part of the stage itself. And it's like, like, just the sheer scale of it is just unbelievable, just how, how huge it is. It must be much bigger than the Wrestle Kingdom set.
0: I, yeah. it looks it, the ramp is massive as well. It's like yeah. a sort of triangular shape. Um, and so I think may, maybe opponents would come in from separate sides. And there's like yeah. a big stage and then there's two different routes to the sort of central gangway leading to the ring. And like, it's such a bloody long walk. Like, yeah. uh, it's a well, huge think- stadium.
2: What what we'll see when we start looking at some of the matches as well is that that has absolutely been designed with the all right we want to do this ridiculous entrance here so we've got to accommodate for that in the stage setup as well. There's lots of entrances and exits which need to be for things that are bigger than a person. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just talking about like hairstyles. I'm I'm talking about some quite subst. There's some quite substantial entrances going yeah,
0: on. Yeah. Uh, everyone got new gear for this show.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. And they definitely, some of them do look like they've gone for like a a sort of a, a glowed up version of the same. But others do look like they're sort of reinventing themselves in the classic, you know, you pull something out for the big for, for the big show. Um, and in some ways. So what you've what you've just described to me sounds like it's the kind of thing that would be a new. It would be immediately turned into a time lapse video during the countdown of the last thirty seconds before the credits open at WrestleMania. That's what I've got in my yeah, head. Is what well, you're describing. This is
1: it. Well, this is the thing that I love about these sort of things is it shows you that if you watch just a normal wrestling match, obviously there's the, there is a you know there's a, a degree of occasion to it. But the fact that yeah. you see the, the sheer manpower and the the resources that are put into making this set and just watching it that. You, you you see how much of a gargantuan operation this actually is, to that you know yeah, that these people are actually like you know how how huge is this is. This is not just you know the lads at Corokin from an Abinakin retirement. show, and right? like this is proper, <laughs> proper like, you know big scale beyond anybody's comprehension, beyond pretty much anything the WWF have done in terms of maybe WrestleMania three. But even then, they weren't. The, the stage and it's just so grand that yeah when you, yeah, when you yeah, think like of the- it being a women's promotion as well, not the WWE. It's a Japanese women's promotion, and this is the sort of level that they're going to. It really takes your breath away.
2: I will say that by the time. People are actually coming out sort of towards the end of the opening ceremony, and you've got the full sort of light show going, and you've got a marching band going on, and you can hear the the soundtrack and everything. Honestly, it looks like a White Snake concert. It's just <laughs> it really it's, does. it's like full on. It's peak sort of. It feels very hair metal in the in its aesthetic. It's it's really spectacular to see, I and mean, in it's like a weird cross between like headlining a festival and the olympics
0: yeah i mean let's talk about the opening ceremony because um Uh, I mean, so we've got a little bit of footage in the video, some uh, porno sax plays over uh, footage of punters going in and buying the uh, very, very profitable programmes. As we mentioned on uh, episode one, over $600,000 was made just on programmes alone. Then you see a guy in a tux talk to another guy in a tux who has an absolutely insane Chris Waddle mullet.
1: You're incorrect. It's a man in a tux talking, talking to a man who has a tux in the top and denim jeans in the bottom
0: oh fucking hell does he i didn't even realize that,
1: and that as chris that has that like that, the mullet <laughs> is incredible like
0: it's the best i've ever seen
1: how was he allowed He's... to go on to a professional broadcast wearing a half tux half denim jeans like in 1994
2: well, well is he not the spiritual predecessor to people like pat mcafee on WWE programming, rocking up in like a suit with shorts so, I'd like to think that there's just been a grand tradition and that Pat McAfee's a massive AJW fan and he was just like I'm gonna be like that well, guy from the well, from the big AJ. Well if if,
0: if if Pat McAfee was an AJW fan that might be the first thing I actually fucking liked about him. <laughs> <Bucky else. laughs> so um the uh he's not even the biggest twat on that pre show panel either, but uh yeah, speaking about the actual opening ceremony, so we've how many people are in the marching band server?
2: Oh, I, I don't know. Is there, it like a 60-piece marching band or it's, something? It's
0: there, massive. It's insane. There is also, in the
1: construction video, there is also footage of the brass band practicing as well. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so like...
0: Weirdly enough, so you you do get a fanfare at the start of the opening ceremony, so but then this like uh, generic rock music—in fact, the same generic rock music you'll hear at the start of uh, each of our episodes—is sort of dubbed over the marching band playing. I want to know why. Like, surely there can't have been a copyright claim from the estate of John Philip Sousa, and so they're not allowed to uh, not allowed to uh, have the music that the brass band was playing. Uh, like, can't, can't reach our ears. It's like um, when New Japan for ages didn't have the rights to Daisuke uh, Saito. Music.
2: Just think how easily they could have solved that problem. You know, just put in a call, quick Susa phone call.
0: For fuck's sake!
1: Here, always. Is cooks. this like you know how that, that that myth where you can like say libelous things and stuff like that, or like stuff you don't want to have broadcast if you say, if you say it to the tune of Happy Birthday, because of the royalties for like Happy <laughs> Birthday <laughs> to like broadcast it, are like so like stupid. Yeah, because yeah, w- oh, just you, just so you. If you win. ever need to like do by
2: episode three, I will have come up with so much stuff about the fabulous Moolah that goes to the tune of Happy Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I be- yeah, I believe that's so, right, but it, oh. it
1: very much seemed like that where it was just like you know the rights fees for this you know innocuous piece of brass music are like eight point two million for every second or whatever.
0: Basically, what we have is uh, all of the uh, – I absolutely love everything about this. Is I mean, we mentioned it being as big as the Olympics earlier. It genuinely – like, do, do you think there are – you know how, like, Lib Dems in this country just want everything to go back to the 2012 <laughs> Olympics opening ceremony and where there was – everything was nice and there was never any problems to do with racism ever. Like, do you think there are people in Japan who are just like, uh, oh, everything's shit now? You know what? I just wish that we could go back to the opening ceremony of Big A Wrestling Universe. People were just so much kinder to each other. You know, there, w- there wasn't any of this alt-right. Um, it is basically like the Olympics also in that all the, because as we said before, it's a multi-promotional show. So all the promotions come out with a standard bearer for them with their promotions logo. Everyone comes out in matching jumpsuits. And there's even a all the random martial artists in the martial arts exhibitions, get a uh, get their own entrance. So you've got like the kickboxers there and the amateur wrestlers. Um, I'm absolutely shocked Anita didn't come out with the um, with the FMW people in their own gym suit, like limelight hog that he is. I,
1: I would like to mention, um, of course, that that FMW tracksuit is incredible. Not only because it looks amazing, but it's also modeled on the 1999 2000 Scotland Salmon Awake it. Is literally <laughs> is literally that short, and I was like, "That's a, that's a fucking salmon a week." What the, f-? and then I looked up, it's exactly the same. I, I do. What was your? Did you have a favorite tracksuit?
0: Um, I, I think probably the FMW ones. Um, my favorite entrance was. Um, uh, Alundra Blaze being you know like there's countries like Kiribati which has got like one yeah. person on their Olympic team <laughs> like Alundra Blaze was that for the WLUF like because um, uh, spoilers for like one of the later matches but like the WLUF title match is her versus in, on this show is her versus Borna Karno but Borna Karno comes out with the AJW people so it's literally just Alundra Blaze and the, the woman carrying her standards
1: it, it was very much uh, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines energy from <laughs> this entrance <laughs> <I> mean,
0: <laughs> it's Saint Vincent and here's the Grenadines We've also got um, uh, I think every um, Every Olympics needs And that is a mascot We have got a furry coming out With uh...
1: What the fuck was this?
0: He's like Tony the Tiger's Weedy cousin He's adequate <laughs> Yeah like, did, you it did you see fine. that Did you see that tweet A couple of weeks ago like Tony the Tiger on truth serum Just saying They're fine <laughs>
1: So, I'm so glad the tiger was there. I don't know why the tiger was there. I'm not going to. Yeah, tie- why is
0: it a tiger? Because like New Japan, if New Japan did this, it'd be a lion, wouldn't
1: yeah. it? It's a tiger.
0: Why is it a tiger? I
2: know. Well, because you had it couldn't be a lioness because that would just look like you were copying New Japan's thing. Yeah, so you've got to come up with something better. And what's better than a lion? Not much. So you go for a tiger instead. So, you know, Yeah, the, you know. there wasn't ever a
0: tiger. Well, I guess. There wouldn't ever be a wrestler because obviously we had like Eagle Sawai, Jaguar Yakota, Condor Saito, etc. I know there's never a tiger wrestler, but then I'm thinking probably because of the existence of Tiger Mask, like quite a notable figure in wrestling as as it goes. I
1: mean, yeah, and especially Tiger Hattori as well. Like,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, the true, the, 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 the true the real preeminent star. yeah. <laughs> so, in keeping with the Olympic uh, ideal, the home nation is outlast. So, this is the AJW uh, contingent, which is by far the biggest one. Uh, my main takeaway from this is. Bull Carlos smiling and waving is really weird. I
1: don't like it it's, it's ve- at all. It's very strange. Even now when she smiles, it's not really a smile, is it? Because she's still keeping up the stoic nature. Um, yeah, you just
2: don't expect it. I know.
1: But I, it is nice to see the Olympics being opened in the traditional Joshua way. the Nakano screaming at the fans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Bulle does a speech, and it's 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 got the same energy as that SmackDown show in Liverpool where the crowd wasn't being loud enough, so Vince came out during the interval and just harangued <laughs> the crowd to make more noise and said Liverpool sounds like a skin disease.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but to be fair, I can completely see why Bulle Nakano was the person that was that was chosen to do it. Number one, because her look is. So special, like you see all the AJW people coming out, and because she comes out near the back, so all you can actually see is just this row of sort of normally sized, not normally sized women, and then there's just like the top of Bulle Nakano's impressive hair, like like the shark fin in the water in jaws, like just appearing above everything else, um, which you know attracts people's attention. But at this point, Bulle Nakano is probably like the biggest star that the company has like she's not she's not the AJW champion uh, at this point but she's had very long title reigns she's been carrying the she's carried the company on her back through some of its you know really significant periods she debuted in 1985 or something like that you know she's been she's held most of the championships going at this point she is probably one of the Best known faces of the company, and she's coming back from having spent some time working in the WWF as well. So, in terms of mainstream crossover appeal and being sort of one of the biggest and most established stars in the company, Bull Nakano was probably the only person who could really have gone out and been the and been the spokesperson in front of you know an audience like that
0: yeah i mean it's i think it's testament because like she wasn't a regular member of the roster at this point because like like sarah just said she was in america and i think it's it's a testament to her value to the company that you know as we said this show is intended as a celebration of women's wrestling and female combat athletes and they had they got in people from other fighting disciplines uh they got in some of the 80s stars for exhibition matches and it speaks to bonacano's value that they were like okay we've got this show which is uh a Celebration of women's wrestling. We have to get her back for this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Icon doesn't cut it for for a woman like absolutely.
0: And uh, then everyone goes to the back, and uh, Sarah just remarked the absolute state of them trying to march in time with the band.
2: (laughs) Do you know what? People just aren't very good at marching.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. It's like uh, it's even weirder. It's It's
2: almost like kind of weird, militarized, sort of organized walking is is not something that comes naturally to humans i appreciate that. that'll be a shock to us as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah indeed um uh, it's even weirder actually because then they're, they're all not marching in time with each other but also not marching in time with the music we're hearing because they've dubbed over the march
2: the thing is i strongly suspect that they're also not in time with the music that they're hearing either
0: it's just the music in their heads which is just a symphony of forearms arms on skulls i would imagine. <laughs> Um so um there I mean it's it's a heck of a way to uh, kick off this uh, absolute extravaganza of pro wrestling and uh, yeah that was the uh, that was the opening ceremony and that was the preamble and uh, in a sense that is episode 2
2: yeah i appreciate when we told you that this show is 10 hours long we weren't actually referring to episodes of our podcast we were talking about big egg wrestling universe but this is i've just never seen anything like it any other show before or since and it's a it, it just blows my mind to be honest it's you
1: know inter-promotion shows are nothing new in the in japan i mean we've reviewed that awful misawa break match from the the summit <laughs> um and you got you know in new japan we're doing stuff with um wcw um, you know, they were doing stuff in Russia, they were doing, you know, and we had All Together Now after the Earthquake release, remember? the yeah. The yeah. We had? But if you watch them, I think the thing about this show as well is that if you watch let's say All Together Now, it's very diplomatic in the sense that it's all eight-mans, nobody's facing against the top, you know, the two top guys aren't facing off against each other on those shows, it's all, you yeah. know, Okada and... All the chaos chaff against Kendra Miyahara and Yoshi Tatsu and you know other (laughs) gremlins and like you know inevitably Yoshihashi will take the fall from Miyahara.
2: Yeah, it's politically quite safe.
0: Yeah, so someone actually reviewed it and worked out that um, I think Noah had the most wins. (laughs) <laughs> on the show and they were certainly not the biggest of the three promotions in fucking 2011
1: no and it's like uh, like least like, so it, it was diff- but even if you watch it all together now obviously they were big shows but they weren't on the scale of this do you know what i mean or no, maybe yeah. super hall like they, they, they weren't in the dome and even then like the, the ones that were the dome like the wwf ones they're quite sparse in terms of production or certainly the matches we watched and it just, it just, this year was otherworldly compared to that. And the fact that you're seeing, like, the best of each promotion face off against each other in actual matches that aren't just, you know, absolute diplomatic juggling acts is great.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I mean you 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 might you might look at the uh, description for this and say oh it's kind of, it's kind of indulgent to devote a whole episode to like the opening ceremony the preamble but I would say that like it's absolutely a part of what makes the show uh, so special. So like I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to go and tell you okay you have to watch the show in a certain way like if you just decide okay you know 10 hours is very long i just want to watch the v top tournament so, you know that's absolutely fine but if you want the full big egg wrestling universe experience do absolutely uh see this and like try and imbibe as much of the full scale of the show as possible because the the sheer extravagance of it is i think a part of what makes it so uh, so momentous and such a i think a real high watermark in the form
1: oh yeah absolutely um, This sure would not be the same like it sounds really silly but your press conferences, your draws, your opening ceremonies, stuff like that. If if your show didn't have that, it wouldn't be the same show. It wouldn't be as good no. even though it doesn't like, Im- affect the actual match, it doesn't inform the actual wrestling in the ring. It's you know, it, it does it does elevate everything, it gives it a bit more of a grandiosity, but a bit of je ne sais quoi.
0: Yeah, like imagine if WrestleMania just opened with a match. Exactly. Yes. You know, even though we might if when we're sitting there in the UK at half five in the morning, like desperately wanting the main event to be over so we can go to bed like, um, you, you know, as much as we may decry it at those at those points when we're just incredibly fatigued, you know, it wouldn't be WrestleMania without all the extra stuff that makes it uh, the show on the bigger scale. And I think you can absolutely apply that argument to this show as well. So that was episode two of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. Thank you very much for listening to it. Um, episode three, we are—you will be no doubt very pleased to hear—be finally getting into the matches. And what we are going to be doing is covering a couple of matches that feature the stars of 1980s AJW. As we've mentioned, this show is a celebration of women's wrestling, past, present, and future. So, um, what we're as, as we've as we've uh, said before, um, we're not going to do this. Ma- match by match by match because um, there's no way to make a coherent podcast out of that and we want to zero in in particular themes each time so we are going to be reviewing the matches out of order um, but uh, there's these two matches which we're going to focus on and basically what we're going to be talking about is how 80s nostalgia functions as part of this show and how uh, the way in which it's presented serves as a sort of counterpoint to the modern things that are going on so um, yeah I have been uh, George Thompson so before uh, we leave you we just have a few things we would like to plug so um this is a offshoot promotion of the perperri podcast um, you can find us at per podcast on twitter uh, subscribe to our rss feed on itunes or on soundcloud at perperri podcast we also provide uh, some thrilling wrestling content at imaintainedthedoublefootstompisilly.com that's com. when you can follow us there at 2xfootstomp we provide all sorts of uh, you know, a, a vast panoply of uh, wrestling content, from uh, you know serious meditations on the nature of wrestling and performance to uh, robot war reviews that me and David did uh, in the style of wrestling reviews, complete with Dave Meltzer star ratings out of five, and uh, you know all sorts of mad stuff. The article article I wrote called An- is Antonio Inoki a Remainer, uh, which is arguably and perhaps tragically one of the things I'm proudest of having produced in the last 12 months so do catch on there I have also written a uh, feature-length novel called The Rise and Fall of Rikidozan it is about the formation of men's professional wrestling in Japan in the mid 50s and early 60s and about Rikidozan the figure at wrestling center and so it's about how wrestling functioned as I guess a sort of a a social form if you like and really helped the country uh, recover Cover from the trauma of losing the war to America by staging contests in which Japan would symbolically defeat America in the squared circle. And it's about my protagonist and how he gets drawn into that world and finds out that his idol is not necessarily the person that he presented is, himself as on screen. You can buy that on Amazon uh, for two pound forty nine for the Kindle edition or fourteen ninety nine from a print-on-demand paperback, which uh, is, I will admit, a little bit uh, steep for a paperback, but a uh, I couldn't do it for any less because it is a a big chunky boy and b it is um about 750 pages so you will get a hell of a lot of reading for that and don't be uh, intimidated by that length um which is uh, not something I have to say to people very often but um it uh, it it has been uh, complimented by people who have read it and reviewed it as being very readable uh, especially considering the subject matter so yeah even if you have no knowledge of japanese wrestling at the time or japanese wrestling uh, as a whole or even wrestling as a whole um do check it out because i can not guarantee you'll enjoy it, but I can be pretty sure that you'll at least find something to take away from it. So um,
2: I gave it five stars on Goodreads, and I did that even after finishing it and without him paying me. You know, I can't give you, I can't give you any higher praise than that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I I I I like to think that you would have done that even if we weren't dating. So that's uh, that's all very nice. Uh, so have you got some uh, things to plug? Uh,
2: so one thing that I'm quite proud of recently is that I um I'm not I'm not proud of me writing an essay for this book, but that. I, so but i have an essay in a book um so women love wrestling is a fantastic anthology of women writing about wrestling and people writing about women's wrestling specifically um all the proceeds are going to rain in the u.s and women's aid in the uk um so fantastic causes i'm not getting a penny for this um lots of people uh you know Lots of people more interesting and eloquent than me on a whole range of topics um, all the way through from kind of what life is like being a women's wrestling fan uh, to the experiences of actually working in the industry and just a, a really wide range of experiences that i'm I'm super excited to get my own copy and have a read of so we'll we'll get the links to Amazon um, out there on uh, whenever this essay whenever this comes out um I cannot tell you exactly when that will be, but eventually you will see some links on Amazon on a social media account, and you should click on them and buy the book.
0: My, my parents have bought it.
2: Oh, have they? Yeah. I haven't bought it yet.
0: I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty. I'm going sh- to, I promise. I'm pretty sure they've only read your essay, <laughs> which is one of the shorter pieces in the, yeah, in the collection. Yeah, it, 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 it is, don't um, worry. It's
2: not long, and it's first, so you get it out of the way, and then you read all the good stuff.
0: So, yes, I, I think, that, that, that's nice, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I'm super excited to, to, to see what people think of the book. I, I think absolutely fantastic writers in there for you to go and spend your time on
0: take, take them a lot uh less time to read than the, my writing on wrestling as well so you i'm could sure read this really whole anthology
2: in about a third of the time it took to to, to read the rise and fall of ricky dozan
0: I, I kept getting text messages from my dad um saying I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying your book i'm 55 percent through on my kindle i was like great what point's that like well, my mum was like i'm on page 400 I, like, I don't know what bit that is um, David,
1: what about yourself? What would you like? Um, to we, uh, you can buy uh, my weird experimental music uh, Um And in addition to that, I am um, doing a podcast part of um called Drawers or Draw. Um, it is it's an old tune, the Fat Joke, and um, it's yeah, it's just, it's very similar in tone to this and the Purbury podcast. It's all very humorous. People who are not you know inclined to take it uh, too seriously. So it should be fun for people who don't necessarily you know support the team or anything like that. They should still be able to listen to it and get something out of it, even if it's just a wee chuckle every now and then. It'll be in a sort of a similar tone. And um, yeah, um, that that's pretty much me.
0: Okay. well, thank you very much to everyone and thank you very much to everyone for listening. This has been Episode 2 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. We'll be back with Episode 3 at a time of your convenience and thank you very much.